Very excited about this edition of the Final Score Podcast. Welcome in, everyone. Uh, coming up, we'll talk to uh, the voice of the Baltimore Orioles on the radio, uh, Jeff Arnold. Uh, opening day is upon us in Major League Baseball. Orioles open up in Boston this week. Uh, Jeff is already up there, so we'll uh, catch up with him and just see what his thoughts are about the, of, about the upcoming Orioles season. Uh, they were the best team in the American League not to make the playoffs last season. So can they make the next step and actually uh, get themselves in the playoffs uh, this year? And uh, we'll get Jeff's thoughts on spring training, uh, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall not making the uh, uh, major league roster to start the season. They're on the 40-man, but, but, the, but they're down in uh, AAA Norfolk. So lots of stuff about the Orioles as we embark upon opening day here. And uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with our good buddy Jeff, uh, who, who used to work uh, with the Frederick Keys, and uh, I'm sitting here with two baseball fans in the studio right now. My colleagues here at the Frederick News Post, uh, Alexander Dacey and John Cannon. Guys, you you looking forward to opening day? Uh, Patrick Corbin is my opening day starting well, pitcher. Yes. I think that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> you, 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 you poor Nats fan. <sighs> um, it's going to be a long season. <laughs> are you excited about seeing some of the young guys? Though? Yeah, I mean... It didn't help that one of the young guys we were excited about, which is our Cade Cavalli, the Nats' top pitching prospect, he blew out his arm in spring training. So that that was a bit of a bummer. But that sounds like something the Orioles would do, <laughs> uh, have, like have like a top prospect go up uh, with an injury like that. Right, but I mean we'll get a full season of C.J. Abrams, uh, Mackenzie Gore, who came also came over in the trade. They shut him down last year because he was dealing with some arm problems, but he's going to be slotting into the rotation. So you know there, there there's there's a handful you know young guys that are going to be making their making their strides. A lot of the um, a, a lot, a lot of the really big, big, big pieces in that trade. I mean, Abrams was already ready to go, but pretty much all the others, um, you know, are still going to need at least one to one to three more seasons, probably in the minors. But 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 oh, there's there's more dread about the Nats season than anticipation seeing some of these young guys. Um, I don't want to say it's not dread because I lo- I mean I love having the young guys and I and I want and I want to see them and I think it's going to be good. But again, it's I I, I just think the. The the so, so, some of the on field product might be a little rough, particularly with the pitching. Let's put it that way. Um, who are the holdovers? Strasburg, obviously. Well, uh, yeah, but he's not healthy. He's still not healthy. He's so he's not. He's um, ever, Patrick, ever since he signed that contract, he hasn't been. Healthy. No, since he signed that contract, he's I th- I believe he's only pitched like thirty or forty innings. It's something ridiculously low. Uh, Patrick um, Corbin, who will be the opening day starter, Corbin, obviously. and then uh, Victor G- Victor Robles. Robles is a holdover. Josiah Gray is going to be our number two. I'm not sure why he's not starting on opening day, considering he is a competent and b young. But um, and he had a, he had a good spring too. But um, yeah, so in the rotation, it's Corbin and Gray. In the field, it's uh, Luis Garcia, who's been a you know somewhere on the Nats' top prospect list for a while now, and he's finally finally unblocked by by veterans so he's going to be up full time uh and then Victor Robles uh Joey Manessas who was a nice surprise at the end of last season he's he's going to be up and I believe but these every- were guys in the minors though right yeah I mean Garcia was a top prospect uh, I'm, I'm talking so. about, about like actual contributors to like the World Series team oh it, it, yeah it's, no it's Strasburg Robles Corbin and that's about that, it, that's right? it yeah. yeah um Sean Doolittle's injured but he'll be supposedly be back at some point yeah he yeah he is Doolittle is back yeah we'll see I mean last year when he pitched again like the the time he did pitch I don't think he allowed a hit until his very last appearance then he went and then and then he like went on the injured list the next game and just never returned right so I look all here here's what I'm gonna say last year the Nats were the worst team in the majors that had the worst season in franchise history and they somehow did not get a number one pick out of it because, of course, the, the this is the year the draft lottery got implemented, and they did not win the draft lottery. So, if they're gonna lose like they did, like like we're expecting them to, at least at least win the draft lottery this time. That's all I'm asking. Be a little, for. be a little luckier. Yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, your spring, man, with the Caps struggling to make the playoffs, probably not going to make the playoffs. It's it's it could it, be a long summer for you. Huh? It uh, it I was I was I, that them kind of punting on the season made me made me do a little deep dive and think when was the last time no DC teams made the playoffs in a year in a year because 
the, the caps are so I mean so consistent. You would always just bank on them, and then like the one year time in the last fifteen years, they haven't made it like the Nats made it. The Wizards it was like when the Wizards were were decent, they made it. Um, you know, and now it's yeah now now this is probably I think one of the first years in like twenty plus years that a DC, DC teams are probably not again unless the unless the Nats decide to just randomly be good, which I'm not expecting. Uh, or the or the Wizards like back into like the ten seed or whatever. The best news but, is the Commanders' sale might be uh, pending. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty soon. Again, I'll believe it when I see it. There's a couple things I say that about, and anything involving Dan Snyder is one of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, we're not ignoring you over here. Oh, uh, well, 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 welcome to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you excited about the Orioles' season? Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been a while since I could say that. Um. Guess I have to start like memorizing their names now. I guess you know, <laughs> at least, quiz me, you know, around the All Star break, and I should know them. And but no, it's not, no they uh, sound like they're in good position. Of course, they're in the best, well, probably the best division or one of the best. Right, divisions it, it, the, the AL East is is yeah. is, a, is a tough go, and we'll talk to Jeff about that too. Have you guys been watching the spring training games with like the pitch clock and stuff like that? Or I'm not. I, I've seen clips, but I, I don't. I don't really watch spring training. I, I I just I just I just read my updates, and that's good enough for me. Because like the pitch clock is like the rave in baseball. <laughs> it, it apparently is here to save baseball uh, from itself, really. Because because I I think I read today the games were down uh, almost a half an hour uh, in, in in spring training. So um, every, everyone seemed to love it. I, I read an interesting story. Um, I, I always thought about it from the pitcher's perspective. It would be a really tough adjustment. But I read a story about they were saying in a lot of ways that it's more difficult on the hitters or it's a bigger adjustment for them because, I mean, they really got to get in there. They, and, they have less time, too. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's, what, 15 seconds for the pitchers? Yeah. Uh, but the hit batters only have eight to, to be ready to hit, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's almost double the time uh, for the pitchers. So that yeah. is that is uh, significant. So. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, my, my, my guardians, uh, they, they're one of the favorites in the AL, uh, central. So, so, so we'll see, um, it, it, it's a long, long season. I mean, we'll, we're, we're starting here in March, which is sort of crazy, uh, that on, um, March 30th, we're, we're playing baseball where it could still be snowing in, in, in some cities and, 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 um, we'll still be talking about this in October. So, um, it's always a long grind, but, 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 but it's fun. Um, uh, to see the season get started. Uh, on the local front, it seems like we have a bit of separation already uh, when, when it comes to some sports, uh, even though the season is really less than two weeks old as, as we record this. Um, baseball, uh, Catoctin looks like the team to beat, uh, along with uh, Urbana and maybe Middletown, Alexander? Yeah, Middletown's definitely, last year seemed to be the, the sort of lull or the, the, the valley because they were they were young and kind of figuring things out, but uh, Middle Middletown is a uh, believe three and one to start the year. Their lone loss was a was a one run defeat to Catoctin, uh, who is right now the only unbeaten only unbeaten baseball team in the county because Ur- Urbana took a took a hard loss to Sherwood to open the season. But um, yeah, I mean those three feel like I mean I think again Catoctin and Urbana are probably a step above, but you know those are probably your your top three. And then there's kind of a mishmash for for fourth right now. Um, we we, you know. we were talking earlier tonight. We did power rankings last <laughs> spring. For some reason, we didn't do it really for the fall, and we I, I think no. we totally forgot about it for the fall and the winter seasons. But I I think we might have to bring the power rankings back uh, starting next week. So, so, so get ready, get ready. You're going to be on the hot seat. Oh so, God. A <laughs> uh, a at newspost.com for all your all your hate mail. <laughs> so um, um, but but, but we'll, we'll, let's bring those back uh, starting next week. We'll get we'll get a. Uh, uh, Power five going in all these various sports. John and softball, it mm-hmm. looks like uh, Catoctin, Ligonor, and uh, Walkersville mm-hmm. are, are, are the cream of the crop. Similar situation as baseball. Yes, those two are clearly, or three are the, to- are the top teams. And then, you know, who's number four? And that's still something that I think we're, we're talking right now and trying to figure out who it is. Uh, you know, usually Middletown and TJ are in that mix. Uh, they've had some struggles. Urbana would be a candidate, but they just got their first win today, so they've had some up and ups and downs. O- Oakdale had uh, two wins before they got uh, trounced by uh-huh. Ligonor in their right. first game, but but they're but they're a solid team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Coach Locke uh, of Oakdale told me that they've been together for this is their third season together now, so, so they 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 should have a pretty good record. Um, 
by 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 the end of the season. So it's up for uh, grabs at fourth it, spot right now. I would say right, and yeah. and of course Walkersville and Ligonier have already played. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we talk. I don't know. I think we recorded before that game was yeah. played last week, and I, uh, Walkersville won it. It was a great game. Yeah, two to one. Um, you know, I, I remember covering that last year. They played early in the season, and they yeah, that was a wilder game. It was higher scoring, but again, I think it was a one run game, and. And they're both. I mean, Walkersville is actually pretty much the same team as last year. They were totally young, and they're uh, they're really good. Uh, Leonor is going to be up there too. They lost some key players, but they've got some key back, and they have promising youngsters. Like we were talking tonight about a freshman there, the young Mackay girl in the lineup. So right. they'll, they'll, they've plugged some new people in there, and they'll be there as well. Uh, but yeah, it was a great, you know, great game, two to one. Um, and, and the thing that struck me is is good. A hitting team is Ligonor is no one had multiple hits in that game. I, right. I, I noticed that little fact toward in your story, yeah. and that, that's pretty impressive uh, for the Walkersville pitchers to, to be able to shut a lineup like that down. And and Ligonor too. I mean, Walkersville's right. lineup is no no slouch, mm-hmm. obviously. Conver- so. Conversely, though, every hitter in that lineup had a hit, or eight, eight of the nine, I believe, did eight of the nine for Ligonor. So it was spread out. So you can look at it that. There are a couple of different ways to look at it. And uh, but yeah, Caroline Hinkleman, uh, Walkersville's pitcher, she's she has a way of shutting down teams. Um, he just puts the ball, lets them put the ball in play, but it's weak, weak grounders, weak flies, and they have a really good defense, and it works for them. Did last year and is again. I, I guess the big baseball game this week uh, is uh, Brunswick struggling a little bit, but 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 they uh, go to Catoctin mm-hmm. on uh, Thursday, and, Friday and, or, or Friday, excuse me, and that should be an interesting game. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those games where it's like you're you're all, each team's always going to throw their best pitcher, and you know they have they have a lot of pedigree. So you know it'll be interesting because I'm I'm presuming all that means Oliver Ellison is going to be going for. Well, he pitched uh, today. Oh, he pitched today. Yeah, he had 12 strikeouts. So I guess he had to been in there a little while. He's good, but he yeah. So then, if that's the case, then I I'm not exactly sure he's going to be going for and Brunswick McManus, then. McManus, right? Uh, but McManus should be going for for Catoctin. Um, you know, Brunswick's had a very very interesting start to the season. A lot of a lot of a lot of close, low scoring games. They uh they 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 hung tough with with Goretti, who's uh who's good, but they lost three to one. Then they beat Smithsburg two nothing, and then they just lost today to Walkersville five four. So so you you know, they're uh, they're clearly have, you know, some good pitching and good defense. The the bats might be a bit of a question and you know, against against McManus, who's you know, Maryland commit. Can, can throw in the 90s that's uh you know that's that's a tall order yeah, but he, he's probably one of the best players in the state period um uh, mcmanus totally so, yeah. so again I'm, I'm expecting somewhat of a lower scoring pitchers duel in that one as again as you know probably probably expected last year i covered that game it was uh i think it was like like three to one or four to one or something like that it was again pretty pretty tight so i i'm expecting some something similar yeah uh uh, lacrosse, uh, girls lacrosse, it seems like the story of the first couple of weeks has been the officiating. Uh, <laughs> lots of people have been complaining about it. Uh, th- there's apparently been a, just an emphasis on cracking down on checking, uh, that they, they, mm-hmm. they, they don't, they're trying to eliminate some, some injuries and stuff like that. So, so the games are being called very tightly, but, um, the games are being called so tightly that, uh, multiple players and coaches have told me that it's affecting the outcomes of games. Um, you had the, uh, Frederick, uh, and this is after we recorded too. you had the Frederick and Tuscarora girls lacrosse game where Tuscarora got seven cards. They were down to three players defending their goal, uh, in a game that they, they lost a, like a five or six, one lead and, uh, and fell to Frederick 10 to eight in that game. And all the talk after that game was the officiating, and then Middletown played Manchester Valley, and Manchester Valley was honestly the better team. But but Middletown played the last 18 minutes without one of the best players in the state, in Ellery Bowman, and and th- and they got five cards on top of the three cards they got in their season opener against Frederick. So, I mean, it's 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 been the story so far. No one likes to talk or read about the officiating, but 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 it's been undeniable so far. The, the flow of the game is kind of wrecked with all these uh, free position shots, and, and there's not a lot of flowing offense. Uh, a majority of the goals, I, I, I don't know if it's a majority, but, but a lot of goals are being scored on those free position shots rather than in the flow of the offense, which is what uh, people would rather see. So uh, teams are just going to have to adjust to this and, and adjust to the way the games are being called. Uh, 
uh, just in the small number of games you guys have seen, has it been a? I know Alexander. I, I guess it was for the TJ girls. Officiating was an issue. Um, not not as much as as your as the first as the the two games that you mentioned and the the ones that you saw. But yeah, they were playing Catoctin Monday, and they were they were down for for pretty much the entire uh, the entire game. And you know, it was it was a fairly decent uh, decent deficit until the last like you know, 10 to 15 minutes when they kind of surged back and they got it within two. Uh, but that, yeah, there were, there were a couple calls that they were, um, you, you know, a couple calls they were questioning a lot of, you know, it was one of those where like they were, they weren't calling a ton until the final few minutes. And then they just started card after card, after card, foul after foul. And, and yeah, and it sort of, it sort of broke down, a, you know, broke down a little bit and, you know, they were kind of questioning like, like, like why all of a sudden are you calling this? So it, I, again, I don't, I'm not sure if that necessarily affected the, the final outcome of the game. Like, you know, like you're like the ones you were mentioning possibly did, but well, yeah, it, 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 it's clearly like something that I think everybody's kind of noticing is like, why is this, what, you know, why this sudden, this sudden leap? Uh, did, did, yeah. did, uh, right. Well, that's, that's yeah. what Ellery Bowman said. She said, it seems like the general officiating was moving in this direction in the name of player safety. They, they were starting to crack yeah. down on the checking, but, but she said after the Manchester Valley game, and, and to be clear, the officiating did not decide that game. Yeah. I mean, 15 to four, right. it wasn't, it wasn't decided. The, the, the Frederick, uh, Tuscarora. Tuscarora girls game. You could argue the officials played a role in the outcome. Manchester Valley Middletown. Yeah. Middletown was down two players and without their best player from a good chunk of the second half. But I wouldn't say that's the reason why they lost. Uh, that, I mean, that, that being said though, I mean, uh, uh, teams are just going that they're just going to have to uh, 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 adjust to this, and and the teams that will adjust to it the best are going to be the ones that are the, the well, most successful. They will this year, but I I would raise some questions about look going forward if they're going to do this. I mean, so basically, two you get two yellow cards and you're out of the game. Right. So I mean, has there been any talk about maybe increasing that number if they're going to make more of these calls? Because I mean, on basketball, right. you get five fouls, right? Yeah. And also, uh, two the, two seems like a low number. Yeah, that seems low. And uh, and the other funny thing is, I mean, they have this free position. So in basketball, you have to you get a foul. Person gets a foul. It gets it gets a tick against them. People get their shots. Uh, and, and girls lacrosse, a lot of your free position shots are, are most of them are not yelled cards anyway. So you have that that issue. That's a whole separate thing that's kind of disrupting the flow. Then you throw in these things with the yellow, you know, two yellow cards, and the team loses key players potentially. I mean, they they need to maybe maybe change the yeah, rules around. Yeah, they're, 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 they're looking for they're looking for the for the balance. Uh, I, I would I would say so far, and they haven't quite found it. And I'll so. throw another thing at. I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, there is no shot clock, correct, right now. Right. And and I remember a couple of years ago when Middletown was in the finals. The team they played, uh, it escapes me, man. It was a Queen Anne's maybe. Uh, they held the ball basically for the last like six minutes. Now, when I say held it, they passed it around and everything like that. Middletown. But, but they weren't, there was no aggressive right. shot making Mid- or whatever. Middletown yeah. would foul them, which in basketball would put somebody on the line and the ball could be up for grabs. Not so. When you get a free position, you don't have to shoot. So the team would get their free position. They just keep passing again. Now, it was good ball control on their part, right? But, I mean, uh, there may be a couple rule changes here that ought to be looked at. Like maybe a shot clock, maybe increase, uh, you know, increase four, card, or four yellow cards, five yellow cards, whatever, before you come out of the game. And the free position thing, I mean, I, yeah. it takes away from I mean, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We'll see how teams adjust. Uh, uh, Tyler White, the, the uh, Middletown girls coach, is a, who's an optimist by nature, said, this will lead to the adjustment that has to be made, and and, and we'll it, we'll eventually figure out how to how to deal with all this, and I'm sure it will, and, and we'll stop we'll stop we'll start talking less about this. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, it, it won't be a major issue um, uh, throughout the season, and, and teams will adjust, and we could get back to uh, talking about just the games themselves and just uh, legit outcomes. But but it, it has been a major issue throughout through the first two weeks of the season, and I'm hearing. Uh, from just in the games that I've, I, maybe I've had like the two worst games when it comes to cards, but it, it's been the dominant conversation before, during, and after the game is just just the number of calls that are being made. Uh, it, these aren't nefarious officials. Or uh, again, I, I think they're uh, being told to crack down on on some of the checking, but it's basically going to eliminate the checking in the game because some teams are just going to be so scared to draw fouls and yellow cards that they'll just stop playing. Uh, aggressive defense so all right guys uh, th- thanks so much uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more uh, spring sports next week but when we come back we'll talk baseball uh, with Jeff Arnold uh, the radio play-by-play voice of the Baltimore Orioles stay with us here on the final score
fresh out of the Florida sunshine, uh, Jeff Arnold, the radio voice of the Baltimore Orioles, joins us this week on the podcast. Many of you here in Frederick know Jeff from his time as the director of broadcasting and public relations with the Frederick Keys. Uh, also served as the team's play-by-play voice uh, for many years. And uh, Jeff, I, this is year number four, right, since you got your call to the big leagues? Greg, that's right. You're number four. It's flown by. I know. Time flies, right? Yeah, it really does. I mean, I got there in 2020. We've had a couple of weird years since. Last year with the Orioles was really exciting because of the massive turnaround that they had. But I'm excited to to be on the road and to kind of experience the big leagues for all that it has to offer. And I think that all of our expectations and hopes for the team are that they're going to be uh, in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, how are you, my friend? I mean, you you look nice and suntanned. Uh, you could tell you were down at uh, spring training. I I, I see uh, on social media. It looks like you're doing some traveling with your lo- lovely girlfriend. I mean, life seems to be good right now. Life is as good as it gets right now. Um, we just were down in Sarasota for a couple of weeks. I did two different trips in. So I was there for about five days, and then I was gone for a week and a half, and I came back for the final two weeks so i got to see some of the the roster battles uh, live and in person and then yesterday we we came up to boston i'm not sure if this is so much a suntan or if it is me from just being outside here in in boston where it's a little bit colder <laughs> okay than, than down in florida but it's still great to be here and uh it's a, it's amazing another year where we uh faced the red sox to to start off uh, a season and that was the case um in 20 and 21 last year the Orioles started against the Tampa Bay Rays and now here we are 2023 back in Boston to to kick off the season I mean opening day means so much to so many uh people it means so many different things to so many different people what does opening day mean to you means rejuvenation it means an unofficial holiday um everybody gets so excited for opening day and it does feel like it should be a day where you where you cancel school and you have everyone go out to the ballpark, or if they don't want to go to the park, then they can go to a, a bar and have some drinks and, and just celebrate what is the, the start of a very exciting six month stretch. And, you know, when you kick off spring training, I think you feel it a little bit, but when you're actually in a major league park and it is number one of 162, it's a really special day. And I think it's, I think it's something that across the United States, we all look forward to and we all have circled on our calendars and I'm, I'm no different in that respect. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you said it, the, the Orioles have publicly stated that uh, they've, they've sort of turned the page in their, in their rebuild. They're, they're not rebuilding so much as now they want to be an established contending team that wins uh, last year. Of course, of all the American league teams that didn't make the playoffs, the Orioles had the best record of all, of all the teams that didn't make the postseason last year. Uh, where are you with this team in terms of where they stand right now in the pecking order of the American League and Major League Baseball? It's really interesting. I feel like the Orioles could have a wide range um, of where they're they're going to be. And I think we're certainly hoping that um, after you had 83 wins last year that you're going to pick up a couple of more and sneak into one of those wild card spots. It's certainly never easy being in the American League East because you have between the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Rays, and I feel like the Red Sox are going to be a better team than some people are predicting that they're going to be. Um, You have a bunch of playoff caliber teams inside your own division, which is basically how it is right now and, and, and how it probably is going to be going forward because of the resources that those teams have and the fact that the Rays have this secret sauce that always seems to work and and helps them find a way into the playoffs. I'm personally of the ilk that the Orioles are going to be a better team than they were last year. Everybody in the clubhouse feels like some people are counting them out right now, but there's nobody in in that clubhouse that feels like that's accurate. Um, So I feel like this team could go a really long ways. I think a lot of it is going to depend on um, can the bullpen be back to the level it was last year. I I think that there will probably be some kind of regression just because bullpens are very volatile and you never are quite sure. But I think what it really hinges on is being able to score enough runs. Um, If, if the Orioles can find a way to get in that four and a half run per game or more Mark, um, I certainly think they're going to be knocking on the, the door of the playoffs. And I think you're looking for bigger years from Hayes and Mount Castle, Mount Castle had some bad luck last year. 
I thought Hayes was one of the more impressive stories from spring training on how he hit the ball. And then for Cedric Mullins, seeing if if he can maybe, I, I think a 30-30 season is probably unrealistic. They come along so, there's so few of them across baseball. But if he can elevate his performance a little bit more, and if those three can kind of move past being league average players like they were last year, I think that's going to pay a lot of dividends for your offense. But all the all the pieces are there, Greg, for this team to be really good. And we don't even we're not even talking about John Means, who's going to be back hopefully at some point in July, um, which is going to elevate this rotation. Yeah, I mean that's like a free agent addition right there. uh, Getting Mm -hmm. yeah, getting him back. Uh, how do you look at their offseason overall? I mean, not a lot of splashy signings per se, but they did add a a, a Kyle Gibson uh, who will be their uh, opening day starter. They did add a very solid infielder in Adam Frazier. Just just how do you look at the offseason overall for 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 the O's? Well, if you looked at the free agent market from this year, as we usually know, after a collective bargaining agreement is signed, you'll see teams be willing to spend and I think this year it was as crazy of an offseason as we have ever seen and and given where the Orioles are in comparison to other teams and Michael Elias has been pretty honest about this um, trying to dole out a contract for 170 million over seven or eight years is probably not an investment that, that the team is is willing to make at least at this point in time so you brought on somebody who was really solid in Kyle Gibson I thought he had a great spring. He's a leader on this pitching staff, and I feel like that with a better defense behind him for a change, it's going to make him a much better pitcher. Cole Irvin, I thought, was a really sneaky, good pickup. Lefty, throws to contact, gets a bunch of outs really fast. I think he'll adjust with a pitch clock, and I think hitters will feel uncomfortable given how fast he works and given that new pitch clock that's that's in the mix too. And Great clubhouse guy. And I think he's going to benefit from pitching in, in Camden Yards and should really take off. Um, outside of that, Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish had proven track records in the second half of last year. And Tyler Wells was nearly an all-star in the first half of last year. So it's very hard to argue um, with, with what that pitching group can do. And I think Frazier's a good upgrade on the infield. He's really solid defensively and can move around the diamond. James McCann, hopefully this this oblique issue is not going to persist for too long because I think you've got one of the better catching tandems in all of baseball and him and Adley Rutschman. Um, so I think the pieces that the Orioles added were very strategic and they were there to try and make the team a, a little bit better. Um, I think somebody's also calling on – somebody's calling me right there. Hang on. Yep. Jeff's uh, very uh, busy – Oh, he's getting room room service in Boston for for for, for, for Mr. Arnold. So uh, give it give us one second, and he'll be back with us. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask him about this uh, pitch clock coming up too, because that's been the rave of uh, spring training so far. Just how much faster these games have gotten. So we'll ask about that in a second too. So, uh, what well, you got room Sorry, service were, room service there, Jeff? Or um... no room no room service. It was just somebody who called and. Um... It was just somebody who was like somebody to make up the bed and stuff like that. So I told him to come back in like 30 minutes. I, I thought you had like a nice steak or something like that uh, uh, coming, no, coming, coming for no. lunch or something like that. You so. got to be careful. With, you got to be careful with the room service. It's really expensive and you got to be careful with what you eat too. Because oh, there's temptations. Up yeah. Here. Uh, I, I just assumed the Orioles were picking up your tab for all the champagne and, 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 uh, and fine dining that you do. So, oh, um, God. I recall sitting, you were kind enough to have me on a couple of your Frederick Keys uh, broadcasts, and I recall sitting in a press box with you watching Dean Kramer pitch uh, mm-hmm. a, a game for the Keys, and he looked really impressive. I'm like, this guy's got major league stuff. And, I mean, that first year was was sort of shaky. He, he seemed underwhelming. But, but last year, man, he turned it around, and he's become a legit major league starter, it seems. Can you talk about his growth a little bit? He has definitely become a, a really important piece to our rotation. And then two years ago, like like you said, I, I feel like for Dean, there was issues with pitch selection. There was issues with confidence. There was issues with um, just getting big league hitters out. And there was issues with the one big inning. When things would go out of control, then, then that would generally mean the end for him. And last year, I think it was a complete turnaround. I think mentally he was in a much better place. I think he had worked a lot on his pitches and how to use them properly. And I think that his confidence just started to grow as the year went along. And, and I remember, actually, we were here in Boston. I thought after the game that, that it was an outing where he pitched five innings, he gave up three runs, but 
he had problems early. He wasn't commanding very well. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if this had been a year ago, I think this probably goes off the rails in the second inning. Instead, he found a way to make it through five and keep the team in the game. And that was a tremendous sign of growth for Dean. Um, I think his stuff is ticked up. He's added a sinker to his mix, which which I think is a, is a really good pitch. And he's a tinkerer. He's really smart. And I feel like his confidence coming out of spring training is about as high as it's been because he pitched so well on a global stage in the WBC. And that's something that you can't discount. And so I think he's he's walking around with a little bit more of a swagger now than he had in the past. And I'm excited to see what he can do from what he, what he can do to build off of all the success that he had last year. Right. Uh, the Orioles haven't announced their number five starter yet. I know a lot of fans were hoping that might be someone like uh, Grayson Rodriguez or a, or a mm-hmm. DL Hall. Uh, f- uh, first, your thoughts on uh, keeping them in Norfolk uh, for the time being, both those guys. And, and who do you think will ultimately wind up in that number five spot for the Orioles? I imagine someone like a, a, a Jordan Lyles. Uh, could, could he be back in the mix? So, so Lyles went to Kansas City. Oh, that's so right. Hits. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, no, no. It's, it's okay. Uh, do you want to like take the question over again? Uh, no, no, that's okay. Just your, th- your, your, your thoughts on, um, on uh, Hall and Rodriguez uh, keeping them in Norfolk right now. And then just who, who might slide into that number five spot. Do you think? I don't think with DL, it was really any question that he was going to go down. He got a late start because of some lumbar discomfort. And what I saw from him in his one outing where we were broadcasting this past weekend was that he started to fatigue right around the third inning when he got to about the 40 pitch mark or so. And they want to keep building him up as a starting pitcher. He's going to require some more time. He just didn't have enough of a spring training. I thought he looked really good, but I would say that he probably is where a starter would be maybe the first week of spring training games. Um, he's not he's not quite ready to go yet. The Grayson Rodriguez thing, you see some of the social media reaction and – my take is that what I saw, he's not ready yet. He, he didn't look like he's ready to be here yet. Now, I don't know kind of what, I mean, there was what Michael Elias said, that it was his spot to lose. Um, and I don't know kind of what Grayson and the team's kind of dialogue was. But, but what I'll say that I saw was that somebody that had problems getting through the fourth inning, he didn't command his slider well enough. Um, he had some problems with lineups that were really not, major league caliber lineups at times and I felt like it was I thought the stuff looked good but it was more he was throwing strikes as opposed to he was able to throw strikes wherever he wanted to and while you have to be cognizant of the number of innings he's going to pitch in triple a because he only is going to be probably 120 to 130 innings um Kyle Bradish and Tyler Wells were both established big league pitchers and I would anticipate those are the two guys that are going to round up the rotation and and Grayson just is behind them. And I think he'll be here. I think he needs to be here to get this club where it wants to go. It's just going to take a little bit more time. And um, but but you look at who's in that rotation and it's not a group of chumps by any stretch of the imagination. Those are good major league pitchers. And I just feel like at this point they were ahead of where Grayson was at spring training. Yeah, just swinging around the diamond. So we got Hayes, Mullins and uh, I guess Santander in the outfield. Uh, Henderson, Mateo, uh, Frazier, and Mountcastle in the infield. Uh, you have Adley uh, behind the plate, of course. Just, Adley's maturity is like something to watch. I mean, just the way he interacts with with the pitching staff and just just the way he goes about his business. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I asked Kyle Gibson actually about what it's like working with Adley and how he compares to the likes of some of the great catchers that we've seen in recent years. Uh, Gibson worked with Joe Maurer when he was in Minnesota. He also worked with JT Real Muto when he was in Philadelphia. And he feels like that Adley, as far as preparation and how he approaches the game and how he presents himself, is in that group of catchers. Adley, I think, will be a front runner to be an American League All-Star behind the plate. And he always brought the defensive piece. The offensive piece was great. I feel like it would have been neck and neck between him and Julio Rodriguez if he had been there from the very start of the season. But he made our pitching staff even better when he got here you look at the record for the team the second that he arrived and he contributed he's become a leader on the team and I feel like everyone in the clubhouse last year realized that when when Adley got into town it was go time and and it was officially the start of all right let's begin to compete and let's see how far this thing can go right well what what do you think a veteran like Adam Frazier will do for this team 
feel like he's going to improve the defense. Um, If you look at our infield defense, it's one of the better units in all of baseball. And I think he increases the athleticism of your infield. Mountcastle became a much better defender at first. You've got Mateo and then you've got Henderson, uh, two guys that could be in the gold glove mix uh, on that left side of the infield. But but I feel like it was important to get Frazier since this year without the shift, you're going to need somebody who can flag balls down and who's got athleticism and range. And that's what Frazier can bring. And I also think he's going to be a better hitter than he was last year. I think he knew what some of his problems were and what he's going to need to do to fix some of those things. Um, He worked really hard with the hitting coaches in spring training. And and then, you know, the leadership piece, he had experience being a leader last year in Seattle, being more of a selfless guy and, and bringing the clubhouse up in a year that he admitted was really challenging for him. So having an extra one of those, those players and somebody who does have playoff experience and knows what it's like and what the environment is like can only do do good things for this young core. Oh, what's your position? You mentioned the shift. What's your what's your position on the shift? Uh, and we're going to ask you about the pitch clock in, in, in a second because mm-hmm. everyone's talking about that. But but what's your position on the shift? I didn't really notice it to be honest with you. In spring training, it just kind of took me back to baseball. It wasn't you know it, it was pretty normal baseball for most of my life and probably for most of yours too you know we weren't seeing a whole lot of shifts until until recent years but I didn't notice it all that much maybe it's just because like I said our defense is so good that it's easier to ignore but anything that can create more action and and more offense I I started to get tired of the this guy hits a ball in the screws and it's going right to the second baseman who's 50 or 60 feet in the outfield. Yeah, it was he's basically a right. A little, it was getting a little ridiculous. He's basically a right fielder. Um, right, more or exactly. Less. Or yeah. Right fielder, rover, whatever you want to call it. I had just, I thought it just had gotten kind of ridiculous and um, I, I feel like it encourages more action. So, so you were in favor of, of doing away with the, with the shift then? I, I think so. And I've seen some teams and maybe you saw the video of the game that the twins played early on in spring training where they took their left fielder and they set him up to, to kind of play like the, the spot in the middle between the second baseman and the first baseman. I don't think a lot of teams are going to do that because it's such a huge risk in games that matter if pitcher makes a mistake and the hitter puts a ball in the left field, even if it's like a routine fly ball. Like that's a triple or an inside the park home run if it's the if it's the right hitter. So I don't think think we're going to see a whole lot of that. But but yeah, teams that have athleticism are going to be rewarded, and I think that the Orioles defense is going to help out this pitching staff a lot. I mean, a, a lot of the proponents say just hit it where they're not. I mean, obviously uh, easier said, not easy to do that though. E- easier said than done, and, and no one's coming to watch a bunch mm-hmm. of people bunt down the first or third base lines where where guys mm-hmm. aren't. So so I mean I I, I get it. So. Um, uh, the pitch clock. I mean, everyone's saying baseball is fun again. The games have sped up dramatically. I think I saw today that 26 minutes were shaved off of spring training games by this mm-hmm. pitch clock. Uh, is it tough for you as a broadcaster to adjust to this thing? I feel like it would have been tougher if I hadn't been in spring training and done the games. But I did 10 spring broadcasts. I did a mix of radio and TV. So I got to see how it worked across both mediums. And just realizing what as a broadcaster I had to do, what I had to do with maybe this partner, what I maybe had to do if I'm on television, what our production staff needed. But I feel like as a broadcaster, you have to make sure that your eyes are up more. You can't be, you know, looking at your notes a lot. You can't just bank on the fact that you're going to look down for five, eight seconds and nothing's going to happen because you could very well miss something if you're not paying attention. And it's funny that. Uh, even uh, some managers across baseball, Brandon Hyde included, have said that um, if they look down for a second and they have to write a note or whatever, um, that they might miss something that happens. Like it happened to Anthony Santander, the first spring training game where he got a pitch clock violation. He wasn't ready with eight seconds and Brandon Hyde missed the two because he was writing something down. So it's an adjustment for everybody, players, broadcasters, managers, umpires, you name it, but it's going to make the game better. And I feel like when we get to the dog days of summer, we're all going to be a little bit more thankful that we do have the pitch clock because I think we'll all be in a better spot physically and be able to do our best when the games really start to matter. But but I mean, as a broadcaster, Jeff, you're a storyteller. You love telling stories. And hasn't the pitch clock eaten into your story time? <laughs> it, ha- it has, but I just I feel like you can still do stories. You just have to be economical with your words. 
and and figuring out what the game is giving you. But that's the thing about baseball is like when it comes to doing stories, you're it depends on the day. Like you might have something that you want to get in that you can get in really fast. Other days, the game might be slower or feature lots of foul balls and you can get in longer stories. Um, it's that that's just part of baseball broadcasting and realizing what the game is giving you on that on that particular day and and you adjust and and you can still do your stories you just have to be maybe a little quicker in how you do it but that's the thing greg i I feel like people remember stories that are quicker anyways right you can tell a long story but it can be much harder to remember so when you can tell a story and do it really quick um that's something that will stick with people did it did it feel in recent years that the games were just dragging on and on forever and i can't believe i'm still in this booth broadcasting this game Unfortunately, yes, it, it, it had just gotten out of control. Um, I, I remember I was listening. I mean, part of what we do as broadcasters is we go back and we review our work. And I was and what I like to do is I review random innings of my work. I don't like to just pick one in particular. I just like to review random stuff just as a check. And I listened to this game that we played against the Chicago Cubs in August. And it was the first inning. And we went six minutes without anything happening, like six minutes of foul balls, pickoff throws, step-offs, a mound visit. It was ridiculous. It just was – I mean, nobody wants to watch that. I, and I hate to say it, but, like, if it if it had not gotten it, stuff like that happening, I don't think we would have a pitch clock. But, you know, batters stepping out of the box with the batting gloves and all these other kinds of things, like, I'm all for exciting games, and if they just happen to be longer, that's totally fine. But the actual between-pitches pace had become so – long and monotonous and nothing's happening and no balls are being put in play so uh, boob shambi likes to say you know it just got it just took longer and longer for nothing to happen and uh, and as and, and even though the, the pitch clock can feel i'm sure dr- draconian to some it had to it had to be put in there and it, and i think that the players and the managers and a lot of other people have embraced it and and i'm in that camp um is it baseball as as it maybe is in its purest form, I would say no, but I would counter that half innings lasting 30 minutes is not baseball either. Um, and when those half innings would go 30 minutes, a lot of times it's not because of the action. It's because of just foul balls and stoppages and, and waiting for, for stuff to happen, which sometimes might, might take five or six minutes. And, and that just isn't good for the game either. Yeah, well, I mean, we and we don't need guys stepping out after every pitch, adjusting no. their gloves, uh, fixing their helmets, and all that too. Well, what impact do you think the pitch clock will have on the popularity of the game? I mean, it, it's gotten rave reviews so far. Every, every everyone seems to love it. But how much popular? How much popular do you think it might make baseball? I think it could really make a big difference. I, I feel like the pitch clock could be the most one of the most important changes that we've ever seen in sports i mean from like the forward pass and football and the three-point line in basketball i think that the pitch clock is maybe one of the greatest sports inventions that we've ever seen it's coming from a place that maybe we didn't expect it to come from where the game had just gotten so slow and and just the games had gotten so long but uh but this i think is going to be good for a lot of people i think it's going to be good for the players i think it's going to increase the likelihood that that careers could get longer um that there's going to be adjustments for sure and we started to see it in spring training but i think long term for the game this is going to be really good and at a time where we are more impatient than ever um i, I feel like it's going to bring more and more people to the park realizing that okay suddenly if we start a game at 6 35 and we have two young kids who need to be in bed by 9 30 or whatever um and we live 20 minutes away from camden yards that it's realistic that rather than having to leave in the fifth inning or the sixth inning, we can now stay the entire game. They can watch the whole thing and then we can go home and, and get the kids to bed. So I, I feel like, especially for people who have young kids and young families and it's school nights, um, I think this is going to bring more people out to the park. And, and broadcasters can get a head start on their next uh, trip uh, or, or, or their next trip home. Uh, maybe you can make last call at the bar occasionally too. So, <laughs> so it, it'll have wide ranging uh, implications. Uh, I, I feel so. Um, so you're going to be doing more TV work. I, I understand this year, right? I will be. So Kevin's our main TV guy. I'll do about 20, I think I'm doing like 26, 27 games, something like that on Masson. Um, I did a few dirt down in spring training. So I'm, I'm really excited to do it. I think when you play 162 games, it's good to, to have a little bit of variety where you, you do 
for me, like I, I do mostly radio, but I still get to do some television as well. And it keeps you sharp and it, it keeps another side of your brain working. And um, anything you can do to, to just break things up over the course of a, a long season is, is I think welcome number one. Um, and, and number two, just to, you know, come to people in a different way where they can see different parts of what I do. And, and I think it just, I think it breaks it up for, for all of us. And, and then for people that like, like Scott Garceau, that'll do some games on, on the radio, um, it just gets a different voice in there. And, uh, and I think that's something that's, that's always welcome uh, and encouraged. So, so everybody gets a break. And then there are also times too, where I'll, I'll get time off and, and to stay fresh and the, and the rest of us will too. So I think that's always good when, when you can have that so we can be our best for the fans. Uh, so what can we expect on Orioles broadcasts uh, this year? Well, you'll have Kevin. It's, it's basically on television. It's, it's Kevin, it's Ben, it's Jim and it's me. Mm-hmm. And then um, on radio, it is me and Brett and Mel and Scott. Um, so I'll be mostly, I think with Brett this year doing radio. Yep. Um, and then Mel and, and then Mel and Scott will be, be cycled in and then Mel do a lot of the BOs extra. And then Rob Long will be there too. And then every once in a while, uh, Brett and Scott will be circled in to do some, some O's extra, but um, we, we have the same group of broadcasters as we did last year. It's a fun group to, to work with and to be a part of, and we're all excited for this year. It's, it's kind of cool that you sort of came in on this on the ground floor, right? Like the rebuild was still in, in full swing and, and you're growing with the team as uh, much as anyone, it seems. I mean, not, not just you personally, but, but this young broadcasting group is, is growing up with this team. Right. And I think that we've all kind of been there through the, the dark times, whether it be COVID when, when nothing was normal for anyone and when there were no fans in the park, whether it be when we get into uh, a full 162 games and the year didn't go the way that anybody was hoping for, but it was a rebuild and and you kind of knew that that was possible playing such a healthy dose of the American league East. And then you have this dramatic turnaround season last year. You have Adley Rushman come up, you have Gunnar Henderson come up and then, and then this year, you know, we're expecting to see Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall will come back and John Means will return. And you had some some good offseason acquisitions that are going to help out this team. And then we get to be right there front and center and, you know, see it for ourselves over 162 games. And um, I, I haven't really been through this before where you're you're coming in and, and you have a team that, that you're working with in the major leagues that suddenly has these big expectations. Um, last year, the Orioles came out of nowhere, and that was another great feeling. I, I feel like it's just as good a feeling when you come into the year and you're like, all right, you go to the ballpark every day and, and you expect the Orioles to win. Yep. Uh, do you like opening on the road or would you rather opening day be at home? To me, it, it, you're going to play 81 at home and 81 on the road anyways. So I don't I don't really have a preference. Um, but for me, Boston is one of my favorite cities to go to. I love the hotel. I love the fact that you can walk to the ballpark from here. And, you know, the thing about Boston, and, and I think it's probably true about Wrigley Field as well, is that when you come out here, every game is an event, and it feels like a big deal and an event. And that's just something that across baseball you, you don't see a whole lot of. Um, and, I, and I feel like that's what makes it extra cool. And, and to kick it off against a, a division rival and also to, to kick it off in a ballpark that has so much history um, and, um, and a lot of meaning to a lot of people. And, and it's just, you know, his, historic ground. Um, there, there are not a lot of places like Fenway Park in, in any major league sport. And so to, to start here, um, yeah, I think makes it, makes it pretty cool. But, but generally speaking, I don't have a preference. I, I'm, I'm as much looking forward to the home opener Camden Yards against the Yankees um, as I am, uh, am opening day because the, the home opener is also a, is like a holiday in and of itself. Yeah. Is the booth a little cramped at Fenway? It's actually not too bad. All the booths are the same size. Okay. So, yeah. so like uh, when, when, you know, Jim and Kevin will sit right next to me and, and me and Brett and um, our booth has the same, you know, amenities and they're next to each other and you have a great view. Uh, but yeah, it's like the, the way that the ballpark is set up, like everybody has a, a certain amount of space and, you know, it's not too bad. I mean, I've, I've been in some places that are a little bit more cramped, uh, but generally speaking, it's, um, it's, it's still a really cool place to come and do a game. And so I, I, I think it's great. And, um, you know, they have like literally every uh, Dunkin' Donuts product you ever want <laughs> while you're up here, probably for obvious reasons. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think that 
you know, we, we got to like last year, all of us got to go out and sign our names in the monster and, and visit inside the green monster along with some players that were brand new. So, so that's really cool, but I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker for, for historical ballparks and, um, it doesn't get much more historical than a place like Fenway Park or uh, Wrigley Field. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I just think in some of those older parks, maybe they didn't build the radio booths as big as, as, as some of these modern parks. So, so I wondered if it was just more cramped working at some of these old barns uh, is, is some of the newer parks. But uh, very, very cool uh, nonetheless. So 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 what? We have Boston. Uh, do, do we have an off day Friday just as rain protection? Uh, or are we playing straight through the weekend? Uh, we play Thursday, which is tomorrow as we're taping this. And then Friday's an off day. Saturday, Sunday, um, one's at 4.10, I think is Saturday, one thirty-five Sunday. And then we go from there to Texas and we play um, two night games and one day game. And then uh, home Thursday for the home opener. Yeah, against the Yankees. And, and, and that mm-hmm. is, uh, that'll be a holiday, a Maryland holiday uh, for sure, mm-hmm. uh, as you said. So. Jeff, I, I I know you're a busy man. Uh, I I appreciate you doing this every year as always. Uh, uh, we we need to uh, find some time to, to catch up a little more uh, off the air. Uh, but but it's always great to talk to you and, and look forward to another season of you uh, doing Orioles baseball. Uh, you you've done you, you've done a great job so far, and uh, it's always great to catch up. Same here, man. It's great to great to see you. I, I look at my memories in Frederick very fondly. Hopefully, I'll get yeah. To we come we back have we have two base soon. we have two baseball teams. Now. Two baseball teams right now. You've got a you've got an Atlantic League team and um, a draft a, league and, team and a yeah. draft league team. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of action going on at uh, at good old Harry Grove Stadium. This year <laughs> I, I, I would in, say in <laughs> there yeah. won't be a lot. There won't be a lot of off nights. Uh, so. Uh, so, so it'll, it'll be interesting, but, but Jeff, always great to catch up and, and, and we'll be uh, listening and watching to you this season. So, all right, Greg, really appreciate it. All right. Uh, Jeff Arnold, uh, radio voice of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, always love having him on. Uh, my thanks to Graham Cullen for producing to Alexander Dacey and John Cannon for coming on and talking some Frederick County sports. That will do it for us this week here on the final score. We always appreciate you listening. Uh, so take care everyone. And we'll be back next week.